Always good to stay in touch and be aware because uh, God is doing a multitude of things in our midst and it's good to be part of it, even though uh, we can't always uh, or all of us can't be at the front edge, we can all stay involved. So uh, you go hard, Captain Jeremy. Uh, we love what you do. We're in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2 and we'll be reading the first 11 verses. I want to say up front, go there now. I've got a few things to say in introduction, but I would be so disappointed if we got into a pattern where you simply saw the words on the screen, which in fact are Bible verses, and that became your familiarity about the Bible. Uh, we absolutely, whether it's on an app or uh, whether you bring your paper Bible uh, to church, we want people in the Scriptures. That's how God teaches us. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we become attached to the beauty and the truth of the Word of God. So uh, keep your apps open. Uh, don't shut them off when we sing the final song because you can go home and check the pastor out. Like whoever the preacher is, we want you to know that what is being said is actually founded in the Word of God. It's not just someone's good idea but it comes from the Bible. So please uh, always uh, check out the preacher. Uh, if it's me, I have to do that in preparation. If it's somebody else, I have a responsibility to do that. Uh, it may not be your responsibility, but it's your good growth if you continue to do it. So uh, that's our habit. Everybody up for it? Just say, yeah, that's me. All right, we've got one in the front row. Uh, so we're continuing the series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we've learned so far that Solomon discovered that life is meaningless outside of a relationship with God. We found that out on week one. That was right at the keynote stage where we have discovered that every week since. But in God, we discover meaning and purpose. So whilst uh, in Ecclesiastes, it's the story of Solomon's term of life, uh, trying to find purpose, trying to find meaning. He, he gives us a summary and says, but all meaning is in God. Along the way, he shares some of what he has experienced. So Ecclesiastes is effectively an historical book about a person's life, a human who lived uh, with very wise and particular human who learned that in all of life, the only thing that really matters is following Jesus, following God. Isn't that cool? And that's the basis of the book. But the interesting part is uh, we'll get to the summary, but in between, like every other book, in between there's a story. And it's a story that God has given us, along with the whole of the Scripture, to teach us something specific. Now, we could flick every time to the summary, to the conclusion, but we wouldn't know about the story. And so it's very important when we do the series and we do it in wisdom literature, and I, I know myself and I've had conversations with people, kind of go something like this, when are we going to finish Ecclesiastes? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm that person, right? When are we going to finish? Because this guy lived a tough life. With everything. He lived in abundance, 
But his was a tough life. And at the end he says, I know what the meaning of life is. I know where to find meaning in life. But the sad thing is, it didn't stop him going on this journey that seems, well, he explains it as kind of misery, meaningless. Wow. And yet he's the wise dude. And he still goes on that life. What on earth? If God intends for us to have a full and a meaningful life, and I believe totally that he does, then life for us should be fun. And our goal in life should be, therefore, with God, to make it fun. It's all about having satisfaction, enjoyment, contentment, joy, if you like, as a spiritual way of saying it. But it's all about us enjoying the life that God has provided us to have. If God intends for us to have that kind of life, then we should expect that that life will be enjoyable and even pleasurable. Fun fact, I believe the Bible. The Bible says that life started in the Garden of Eden, that God created, he gets the garden all up, it's, it's perfect. He goes, time to put man in the garden. And as we know the story, and we quote it regularly, the garden's called Eden. Guess what Eden means? Anybody got it? Pleasure. Eden means pleasure. So God created a place of pleasure to get life started for people. Not bad. Gives you an insight into who God is, what he thinks. That uh, essentially... God doesn't want us to have to go through a Solomon-type life. And uh, Solomon's life is there, so we know that you can have everything in life and not feel at all like you're enjoying yourself. Unless, as Solomon concludes, God is in the centre. When God is in the centre, then... All of life has meaning and all the pleasure of life has substance and joy is found in every good thing that God has given to man to enjoy because God is about giving good things. He is the giver of all good things, yeah? And so everything good that there is comes from God and he gives it so that we can have pleasure the the problem is as I've discovered and the problem that is resoundingly clear in Ecclesiastes is what's wrong with the pursuit of pleasure well it may be the substance that captures our heart So the problem is not with every good thing that God has created and given and made available for men and women to enjoy. The problem is not in all the stuff. The problem is in where is our heart? 
Where is our heart? It might totally, all the things might totally become a distraction, an idol that doesn't satisfy. Because the pursuit of satisfaction through pleasure will mean that you're constantly trying to up the level of pleasure. Constantly you get a little taste. Um, it's like an apricot I had between services today. You get one, oh man, I want another one of those, right? Uh, whatever it feels like to us is good, you want more of that. And you start to live in dissatisfaction. And many have found that they nosedive into dysfunctionality. It'll never bring eternal meaning to your life, but it might, in the meantime, have your heart. And God doesn't want to share your heart with any worldly pleasure in fact God doesn't want to share your heart with anything he wants your heart for himself wow you might um you might be thinking what a awesome way to start a sermon pastor and I know but it's what we need to process in order to get a clear understanding of what Solomon's message what God's message through Solomon is in these chapters of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we're in chapter 2 and from verse 1, we've identified so far that Solomon had extensive life experience and credibility through God-given wisdom. And we want to extract some of that wisdom today in relation to the warning about any false pursuit of pleasure. So follow with me into verse 1 of chapter 2. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. In verse 2, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, which are the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. I believe the pursuit of pleasure will never satisfy the human heart. Enjoying 
everything that the world has, that God has made, once we have given God our heart, becomes the fun that every single person is really craving for. But man, people, we flip it on its head and we go after the stuff. And God becomes, if I may say, an appendage or kind of that uh, relationship on the side that we have time for once we've done all the stuff. And that's what provides an ache in our heart. That's what produces the frustration. It also produces the stress. So I can't make light of the fact that I can take preacher's licence when I stand up here at any time, but it seems to me as I read the scriptures, the whole of the scriptures, and then I see how Ecclesiastes fits into the whole of the scripture, it is pretty simple to say this, put God first. Put God first. Give God your heart and be surprised at how fulfilling and enjoying life can be. Summary statement over. But the pursuit of pleasure will, it'll always get you because it always causes you to want more of it. More pleasure, that is. And Solomon talks about its attraction, its capacity to draw you in. And he warns us about chasing after it. And his experience of pursuing it's pretty extensive, more than just sexual or physical. In fact, I'd say the most cutting or damaging part in chasing after pleasure on the human side of thinking is the emotional damage that it brings. That the emotional damage or the way that society has to accumulate skills and finances to support a community that is otherwise and remains in dysfunctionality is exorbitant. The amount of upskilling in areas of coping in frustration, depression, all the kind of ongoing things that come from a dissatisfied life is enormous. It drives our society. However, I want to continue on by saying clearly the greatest damage. Emotional damage is massive, right? But clearly the greatest damage is spiritual. The spiritual emptiness that comes with the fallout. We live in a society that says it's all about you. Get what you need, then get a bit more. What a deception. And, and so many people have found that out the hard way. We find messages everywhere. Televisions are just monitors to provide us with information and opinion. Uh, people's ideas are thrust at us from so many directions now. 
I reckon free-to-air TV that I grew up with, uh, that's enough, right? But that's so old school, isn't it? You turn a TV on and watch those stations that have commercials. I mean, who does that anymore? There's some people in the room who don't even know what that is. But we've got Stan, we've got Amazon Prime, we've got Foxtel, Netflix, movie screens, we've got Insta, we've got Disney, we binge, you've got YouTube. I have been educated over Christmas. Now, at the end of this, I want everybody to go, oh, practice, all right? Oh. So my daughter comes up, well, all my daughters and my son and my daughter-in-law come up for Christmas. And we're sitting in the lounge room, we're chatting about something, and my daughter says, oh, I saw something I want you to, I want to show you, Dad. And the TV's on, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Um, do you want me to change the TV? Like, put YouTube on. And she goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's all right, I've got it here. And I'm thinking, small screen, eyes not so good. Uh, Brie, next thing, it comes up on the TV. I'm like... Hey, that's really cool. Can I do that? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just open up YouTube and see that little box up in the corner. Press that. Hey, presto. Ready? Ah. I learned something over Christmas. How cool is that? So I am a YouTube master now. It's all about you. That's the supercell. Rarely does any marketing today say you are a humble and a generous person so give us some of your money please. I haven't heard that message recently. Televangelists are not that big anymore so I've I've missed that message, right? The message is so often about you. What you need, I can give you and just spend your money. Remember, while Solomon was king, life was pretty good in Israel. They enjoyed decades of peace, pretty reasonable wealth. Life was relaxing, it was prosperous, money was everywhere. Life was all about laying back and chilling in the Judean sunshine. Life was pretty good. Charles Swindle, a blast from the past, has this to say. It's from his book, living on the rugged edge. It's a a commentary of sorts on the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, The king was looking under the heavens to find happiness without God. In the first chapter of this journal, we have seen that he tried educational stimulation and a measure of scientific exploration, and both left him empty. Surely there's got to be more in life than this. So he decided to pursue another course to scratch some itches that have been there all his life deep down in the Eros zone. Solomon dives weeks that the exciting conclusion to the book of of wisdom literature is that God is the meaning for life. But remember, he doesn't get that. He has that. He has the opportunity for that. And then he goes on a journey. I have been so sad so many times. So many people 
and it's not age-specific. So many people who know all of what I've said that God gives great opportunity for. You might have seen them in the kids' church. You might have seen them in a youth ministry. You might have seen them in mission. And one slipper, one that's been noticed, can potentially remove every following opportunity and disqualify. God wants your heart. He deserves your heart. And when God's got your heart, here's the Here's the message that is in no way cliche. So simple, so simple, so true. And yet, so easy not to get. When God's got your heart, life is fun. When God's got your heart, there is joy. When God's got your heart, you see his creation all around you. When God's got your heart, you are satisfied because God has designed it to be that way. Isn't that true? Isn't it? Nothing new under the sun. That was true in Solomon's day. It's been true ever since. Tracy and I went to an Arch Heart seminar part of a QB conference arranged for Queensland Baptist pastors and spouses. Um, when available or when able, uh, the Queensland Baptist uh, organisation has a pastors and spouses conference. Uh, it's coming up, so plans are underway. And if you're a pastor or a spouse in this great state of ours, you'll get invited to that. Well, we went to one many years ago and the keynote speaker was a guy by the name of Arch Hart, who's a psychologist, a, an author, um, a professor of psychology. You can look him up. He's a great resource. And he spoke at length about surviving long-term in ministry and majoring on the area that catches quite a few pastors and spiritual leaders and many of those people I referred to just a little bit earlier. There was great opportunity and not so many opportunities now. Sometimes the things that he talked about takes people out of ministry altogether. And generally speaking, you could say the pursuit of pleasure, but more specifically, what disqualifies a lot of people from fruitful ministries is affairs, pornography and money. And as he said, a whole lot about lust. And uh, a misguided understanding of how to deal with feelings. So he did that in the intro and he spent four days kind of extrapolating on it. He spoke at length about the idea of, in the male pastor sense, Mr Wonderful. And he brought the men in the room down to earth, I think appropriately, and it still stings on me. Uh, but, wow, 
I searched the word hedonism on Google to see what Wiki had as a definition. So when I typed in the word hedonism on a Google search, I find a definition, um, but the first response that comes up was hedonistic resorts. Now, these are clothing optional resorts. It's in Jamaica. And I want you to listen to their ad because I believe a lot of the time what we're talking about here uh, are subtleties, counterfeits, disguises, very good disguises. So you've got a picture in your mind of what this resort might be, right? Listen to their ad. Uh, sleep in, stay up late, give up counting calories. I'm almost in right there. Have a drink before noon, give up mineral water, dine in shorts, talk to strangers, don't make your bed, go swimming, don't call your mother, let your hair down, be your beautiful self. I mentioned subtle. Disguise. Tempting, misleading, counterfeit. And they're so proud of it. So... On the same page, in my search, I do find a definition for hedonism. It says it's a noun, the pursuit of pleasure, self-indulgence, uh, pleasure-seeking, self-gratification, intemperance. And then in Wiki, hedonism is a school of thought that argues seeking pleasure and avoiding suffering are the only components of well-being. And it claims that what we should do depends exclusively on what affects the well-being of individuals. Solomon starts right out in chapter 2 verse 1, I said to myself come now I will test you with pleasure so enjoy yourself and wow it too was meaningless. It had no lasting value, no eternal value, empty feelings and it still left a void in his life and in his heart. of encouragements to live life well. This is where I go to in a cross-reference. You do a cross-reference, it'll push out Matthew 5 and 28. Jesus is speaking here. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully and has already committed adultery with her in his heart, in Mark chapter 7, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. And all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. These are the attributes of people. And God says, I want your heart. Does it make sense or not? Yeah, we can read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and we just read through the words and I feel like it's important for us sometimes to hit the pause button and go, God, what do you want to say to me? And the resounding voice is always, I want your heart. It's not like, I, I need, I'd, I'd really like it if you gave me your heart. God says, I want your heart. I created you. I know how to please you. 
I know what's deep down inside of you. I understand you. Give me your heart and you will have joy. Wow. Because God is good. Amen. Chuck Swindle, go back to Chucky. And Chuck Swindle has this to say. Our friend Solomon, with a limitless supply of money and without any sense of accountability to others, took a trail as far as he could take it. And when it was all said and done, he said, what an empty, futile trip. This is what Swindle says. Will every person hearing these words please listen to Solomon rather than the hype from our times? Will the novice, the inexperienced, the the virgin, the person who has not yet been scarred by that journey, will you hear ahead of time the truth rather than a lie? Equally important, will you be mature and smart enough to heed it? Um, I just got to say thanks, Chuck Swindle, for being a straight talker, yeah? He throws out the pursuit of sexual pleasure for yet another lie. Solomon is on this journey of life and he says, what about laughter? It's like he said, bring on the clowns, the comedians, the jesters, bring on all the funnies. Look, make me laugh. Give me meaning in life. Surely it'll be on comedy channels, the sitcoms, the movies. Let me laugh my life away. So have you noticed that humour without a focus on God? So take God out of humour. Humour is created by God, but remove God from humour. Have you noticed what happens? Where comedy goes without a focus on God? No good place. Proverbs 15 and 30, though, says a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news. Then alcohol is involved and then great building projects. Now, I, I know a lot of people that have been entrepreneurial in various ways. Uh, I know a guy who actually did the work, the project management work for the Esplanade in Cairns. Uh, we were driving. Uh, he built a couple of shopping centres as well. We are driving around Cairns and he says, how would pastor be in the front of my name? And I'm like, and okay, I need to do this in a nice way, but I'm like, not sure too many people would go for that. Uh, maybe your personality isn't the best for pastor, but I do know of a mission agency that would love an entrepreneurial spirit and a Jesus follower like you involved in their mission and ministry. 
And so not too long later, he becomes the operational manager for one of our larger missions in Australia. You see, God knows God has a fit. God wants your life. And ever since, following Jesus, reaching people gives us purpose. But it's not reaching people and sometimes following Jesus. It's following Jesus and reaching people. Amen? We can't shortcut that. God wants your heart. And he won't share your heart with anything. Give God your heart, make life fun. Practice self-control. Pursue purity. Delight in God's best for you. And in the Psalms, the righteous who delight in God's word will receive wisdom and prosper. Uh, We're going to finish with a song. The band is coming up to lead us. And I... What a pray. So can I ask you to stand? And as we pray, I invite you to take this very seriously. And uh, it's good that we're preaching to the converted here mostly today. You've not perhaps learned anything new, but the nature of taking God seriously means that sometimes we do a cataclysmic review of where we're at and we say, I want to follow Jesus now. I want to give God my heart and I want to be God's person. And what that looks like for you is different from what it looks like for me because you and I are different. We are unique. And as we give God our heart, he will show us our unique way to follow him and to reach others. And if, uh, if everyone was like me, I'm telling you, that would be boring for you. But God is not boring. And life is not boring because God is the creator of every good thing. Father, We aim to please you. We do have a desire to enjoy life. We have a desire for fun, for engagement, for uh, to smile and have a reason to smile every day, every moment. So take my life and let it be. Lord, we want to be consecrated, Lord, to you. We want to be the people that you made us to be. So we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, refresh us, renew us. We, for, we need your forgiveness. We thank you that you are the forgiving God and there's not a single thing that we may have ever been involved with that's not forgivable and you have sorted that out immediately. And you give us new life. Lord, we give you our heart.